Hey, so today we're going to be talking about cryptocurrencies specifically. Does it have value? Um, and, uh, and, and why might it have value? Now, you know, we're not technical people, the two of us. So um, the, the, the value of cryptocurrency that stems from um, certain particular technical uses might be beyond our knowledge. Um, but we'll, we'll talk about what we know, um, you know, given that caveat. So uh, Nadav, would you like to start out by, by giving um, your quick uh, summary answer to the question of, does cryptocurrency have value? Well, I mean, I think one, given it's cryptocurrency, one potential value might be to replace fiat currency. And then another one might be idiosyncratic applications within the network of that cryptocurrency. So for example, if we're talking about Ethereum, there might be applications within the Ethereum network that are specific to particular businesses that then use Ethereum to carry out these applications. So on the one hand, there's replacement for fiat currency. On the other hand, the other type of value is specific applications that the network of that cryptocurrency can provide. So we can start in either one of them. Yeah, that's, I think, a really great point. Um, and there's a two very different approach, approaches to the question. So let's start with the first application as a uh, a substitute for fiat currency, um, because it's kind of simpler to talk about that, I think. And so, you know, we should, should make some assumptions as we talk about this. And I think one of the assumptions we need to make when it comes to cryptocurrency is that at the time of inception of the cryptocurrency, there is a limited supply of that currency in circulation. Theoretically, you can create a cryptocurrency where you can increase the supply as much as you want, but let's ignore those types of cryptocurrencies. Um, and so, you know, we're comparing this like limited supply currency to a fiat currency, which has unlimited supply. Um, and I, I, to me, that's the main difference that matters between the two. I mean, it's true that cryptocurrencies are born in an electronic uh, digital world, whereas fiat currencies are not. But today, fiat currencies are effectively digital. Um, and so to me, that, that distinction by itself is not so meaningful. Um, another, another distinction which might or might not be worth talking about is the um, potential for anonymity with cryptocurrency, which is a lot less possible um, with, with fiat currency. Um, I mean, although the rules that apply to fiat currency also apply to cryptocurrency. Um, so theoretically, the anonymity is not unlimited. But maybe the first thing we should start out with is a discussion about whether the limited supply of cryptocurrency or the, the fixed supply of, of cryptocurrency makes it necessarily better. And do you want to provide your thoughts on that? So the initial first order argument is that increases the money supply in fiat currency we've seen over hundreds of years, thousands of years are unrelated to economic necessity. They're related to political considerations. So oftentimes what you see is the money supply increases more at a higher rate than the rate of increase of productivity or of goods that money can buy. And when that happens, the value of money goes down over time. 
cryptocurrency, that's not going to happen because the rate of increase is set. And at some point, you're going to hit a supply cap, especially with Bitcoin, the most famous one. So the value of the currency, at least from, a, from the supply, will remain stable or increasing. But there's another source of value that's important if you're going to think about currencies, like how many people are using it as a currency. So it's great that the supply of Bitcoin increases very slowly and at some point is capped, but if nobody else is using it to buy goods, to buy a house, to buy a car, to buy groceries, then there's not a lot of value in the currency, even though it's supply capped. Right. So I, at this point in time, we don't know how prevalent Bitcoin will be as a means of exchange in the future. I think we should give it the benefit of the doubt right now. I mean, if it's not going to be used as a means of exchange in the future, then it's kind of useless. So let's give it the benefit of the doubt and assume that it's going to be used um, as a means of exchange um, by a large fraction of the population uh, in, in the future. Um, and in that case, we, you know, the, the, the real distinction is just that Bitcoin is um, going to be necessarily um, increasing in value, whereas fiat currencies will most likely be decreasing in value. Um, though that's not necessary, but that's what we've observed historically. And so we have no reason to think that's not going to continue. Um, and, and, and so I think another distinction is that not only that um, not only that uh, cryptocurrency is deflationary and fiat currency is inflationary, but also that um, the like as you mentioned, the the dis, there's a there's a human decider who decides how much fiat currency there should be, but no human is deciding how much cryptocurrency there should be. So I guess one question is, um, you know, is there value in that? I mean, one question is 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 inflation better or worse than deflation in general. But another question is, is that human decider um, adding or destroying value um, just by fact that they are they have human motivations and as you mentioned, um, sometimes political motivations. Um, I would like to kind of not push back, but I, a little, I question, um, I'm questioning how much political motivation there is in setting the money supply um, in general. I know that in a lot of governments, there may not be a separation of power between the people who decide to increase the money supply and the um, kind of uh, the political side of government. And in the US, there is an attempt to create a separation um, between the Federal Reserve, which is largely responsible for the money supply and the political side of government. Um, I mean, not that I want to go too far off on this, but do you think that, that there isn't, uh, that, that there is still political motivation for the money supply uh, that, that enters the money supply? Well, I mean, if we look at the chart of the value of the dollar after, so in the early seventies, it was delinked from gold it used to be that you could redeem your dollars for gold, at least theoretically. Very few people actually did that because just the promise that you could do it and the knowledge that the U.S. had a bunch of gold um, to do that, uh, nobody really wanted to do it because it's much easier to transact in dollars than in gold. 
But once it was delinked, the value of the dollar has decreased by a magnitude of 80 to 90%. So a dollar in the early 70s would buy you a lot more than a dollar today. Now we can argue about whether this obvious inflation in the money supply was politically motivated or not. It's gonna be hard to argue otherwise, but let's assume that it's not. I mean, the one thing I would say there is a shortcoming of Bitcoin as it is and other cryptos is that it's so volatile. Whereas the dollar is losing value over time, that decrease is mostly manageable. There were a few years in which inflation and therefore decreasing the value of the dollar were double digits, but there are very few of them in the past 40 to 50 years. Um, whereas Bitcoin is given to wild swings, very wild swings. So you can want to buy a house for one Bitcoin, let's say 10 Bitcoin, which is about four, $400,000 today. But then in a month, it's going to be worth $200,000 or $600,000. And so it's very hard to plan how many Bitcoins should you exchange for a given good right now. It's just too volatile. We can think about reasons for that. But at the very least, the fiat currency, although it is inflationary and decreasing value, the decreases are small enough so that they don't affect regular transactions. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah, that's, that's definitely um, a good feature. I think, um, you know, in, in business, I mean, and I think that the volatility in Bitcoin is, it, it is syncretic. Um, I mean, it may include some systematic risk um, but there's a large, large amount of, uh, I, I guess there's both systematic and idiosyncratic risk in the volatility of Bitcoin. Um, and so as a business owner, you know, you want to minimize as a, as a small business owner, you want to minimize both idiosyncratic and systematic risk as a large business owner, you want to minimize, especially systematic risk. And so by carrying Bitcoins in your balance sheet, which is necessary if you're receiving them as payment, um, you're necessarily increasing your risk, which is necessarily reducing the value of your business. So um, accepting Bitcoin as, as payment, as a business, um, yeah, I, I think that in a way it kind of, it opens you up to a market, um, you know, to the extent that there's a transaction cost in converting Bitcoin to, to dollars. I mean, suppose that transaction cost were like 50%. Um, then that means that there are a lot of people who really want to spend their Bitcoins instead of actually converting them to dollars. And so if you are willing to receive payment by, by Bitcoin, you'll get that whole market. Um, but if the transaction cost is actually zero, um, then a business has literally no benefit to accepting Bitcoin. They might as well just only accept dollars. Um, and if that were the case, then the Bitcoin would never be used as a means of exchange. Um, and I don't know exactly, but I would think maybe as time goes on, the transaction cost has decreased. I don't know. Maybe it will decrease uh, going forward. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess uh, that volatility kind of really gets in the way of Bitcoin being used as, as a means of exchange. Um, how Do you think that's something that's going to be fixed in the future? Oh, I have to think about where the volatility comes from. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in Bitcoin. It's a relatively new product. I mean, it was created in 2009, so we have 12 years, um, whereas the dollar has been, or fiat currency has been around for many, many, many more. 
It also does not have a backing of the government, which of a government, which means that governments can tax transactions in Bitcoin in any way that they want. None has, I think there was some news from China that they were going to tax specifically Bitcoin transactions, but at least for now, there hasn't been anything specific aside from that. But that's another uncertainty. And there's just not enough market participants who are transacting in Bitcoin right now to right. reduce the volatility. Yeah, I guess that, 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 that so there, I think there are two things that fiat currency has going for it. One is that it's actively managed by, uh, by someone. And so if the value is going up or, or down too much, then, then some humans can actually counteract that. And second is that it's not governed by the kind of the law of velocity of money. Um, <clears throat> like, you know, if, if, if you suppose like a fiat currency increased its money supply at a fixed rate, or if it kept its rate constant, then the, um, the price, the value of a dollar would be determined by um, the velocity of money. So um, as it, it, the value of money would go, uh, I guess, up in proportion to, uh, to, GDP, to real GDP, um, and it would go uh, up in proportion to um, the, the rate of uh, transactions um, relative to GDP. Um, and that would by itself determine the, the, you know, the value of, of the fiat currency. I mean, let's suppose that there were no, uh, like the, the government, US government did not manage the value of the dollar. Um, and suppose someone wanted to speculate on the value of the dollar, like would they be able to do that successfully? Um, and I think that, I think they wouldn't because the, the value of the dollar would be determined they wouldn't be able to that that that, that speculate the power of that speculator would be nothing compared to the power of you know uh, the overall markets for buying and selling stuff which would determine the value of the dollar so i guess uh, until bitcoin is used primarily as a means of exchange and not uh, for speculation um it's going to suffer from the problem that it's going to have this volatility and ironically, it won't be used as a mean of exchange until that volatility goes away. So it's like a chicken and egg problem. I don't know we can separate really what speculation means and what exchange uses of a currency well, is. I mean, there's... Speculation, by speculation, I mean that you're buying, you're buying the asset. I, I, I mean it, the term very broadly as just meaning that I'm, I'm buying the asset in order for uh, to, to benefit from its expected appreciation. That's all I mean. So so when a Federal yeah. Reserve or uh, the Russian Central Bank has got bought gold recently, is that also speculation? There, the purpose for buying gold um, is not limited to um, for getting the benefits expected appreciation. Another reason is just the store of value. Um, so I need somewhere to put my value and I, I want to put it in gold because I believe gold is, is relatively stable. Um, so that's not necessarily uh, for speculation in that case. I think it's very hard to determine. I mean, theoretically I can see, but practically. Well, my goal is to measure. Sure. I mean, yes, right now, because Bitcoin is not widely used as a means of exchange, obviously, if you're going to buy Bitcoin, it's going to be partly for speculation, as you say. But some people and some institutions buy Bitcoin because they think it's going to hold its value, just like a central bank, as you said. You got to have 
somebody's parked my money and I don't want to park it in a fiat currency because I know it's going to be inflated in 10 years or 15 years. So I take my volatility and I'll be fine. I think, uh, I mean, I'm trying to think about this. Like, so let's suppose that Bitcoin were used exclusively for exchange. Um, in other words, I, I only bought it when I wanted to buy some, some good uh, that were available in Bitcoin. Um, in that case, it's kind of like a foreign currency. So I only buy that foreign currency when I want to buy a good in that foreign currency. Um, in that case, I think that the, de in that case, uh, you know, demand and supply are solely derived from demand and supply for the goods that can be purchased and sold with Bitcoin. And, and as long as the demand and supply, uh, curves for those goods are not volatile, the demand and supply for Bitcoin would not be volatile because that, so, so the the price of Bitcoin we derive from the demand and supply for goods bought and sold with them. So I guess what I'm saying is that I think if the uh, use of Bitcoin were exclusively for uh, purchasing goods, you would see no volatility in the price of Bitcoin. Uh, and therefore, if you do see a volatility in the price of Bitcoin, that must mean that um, there is a significant um, amount of speculation in Bitcoin and that uh, using it for exchange of goods is not the primary uh, or exclusive uh, purpose. Okay. And, and that's actually, I think, is a problem because you know if you're gonna, if if you're gonna, if the end, if the go, if, if what we want is a Bitcoin that has low volatility, we're only gonna get there when speculation goes away and when it's used primarily for exchange with, for goods and services. But but people will not use it for exchange for goods and services until it's not very volatile. I think. And so I think there is this sort of chicken and egg problem with Bitcoin becoming, um, you know, a stable currency that can be used as a means of exchange, primarily. Mm -hmm. I think it's true for any new asset or new project or new anything. It's just, you have the early adopters and it's very hard to know how to value something um, compared to other things. So well, I think with, with products in general, um, you don't have this... Um, like bad equilibrium. I think that uh, with, with, with currencies, you have two equilibriums. One equilibrium is where it's, the asset is used for speculation um, and it's volatile. And the other equilibrium is where it's used primarily as a means of exchange and it's not volatile. And um, both of these equilibria are kind of, uh, what do you call it, sinks in, in that they're, they're going to, uh, that, that the, um, the state of the world is gonna be sucked toward one or the other. Um, and anywhere in, in between is an unstable uh, position. Um, so that's true, I think, of currencies. But if you think about products in general, I don't think that they have these. Uh, I, I don't think it works like that because products often have the benefit of network effects. And so, um, you know, early adopters benefit from the product with a small amount of network effects, um, and then and then people who are less early adopters are willing to use it when there's a small network effect and then the network effect grows and, and therefore the demand for the product grows until it's widely adopted. Now, like it's true that Bitcoin has a network effect, but in addition to that, um, it also has these two equilibria, which, which I think don't apply to, um, you know, most products don't have to worry about volatility 
in in the in their price. It's not it's not a problem. Like volatility in the price of an Xbox is not a problem for Xbox, but volatility in the price of Bitcoin is a problem for Bitcoin. Um, so I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are are just necessarily distinct from other products. I don't think so, but I I see what you're saying. In any case, without this reduction in volatility, it's going to be hard unless there's got to be some hedging instrument or something. Which you could do. You could hedge Bitcoin, right? Like you could, uh, there could be a party out there who says that, okay, if Bitcoin, I'm going to guarantee, if you, if you sell something in exchange for one Bitcoin, then I'm going to guarantee to you that the price of your, your Bitcoin is going to be uh, $30,000 for the next 30 days. I'll, I'll buy it from you for $30,000 for the next 30 days, or I'll have a forward contract with you where I will buy it from you within the next 30 days for, for, for $30,000. So that, that can definitely happen. Well, it is happening. It's just those, those instruments are expensive because the volatility yeah. is really high. Right. And that's part of the transaction cost argument that you mentioned before. Yeah. As the volatility comes down, still the main issue, even then, would be what governments think of it because governments have the power to tax in their own territory. Well, I think and that's an additional issue. I, I think that the issue we've been talking about is the main issue. I think that the taxation is an auxiliary issue which happens to be an annoyance that Bitcoin has to deal with. But like, I guess the reason I think the issue we've been talking about is the more important issue is that like we can suppose all the governments in the world suddenly became very friendly toward Bitcoin. Um, can it succeed in that case? And I think that's, that's worth thinking about. And actually, you know, you mentioned you disagreed with, with the point I was making before. Maybe we should explore it. Do you want to ex can we explore that a little bit more? No? Maybe in the oh, next podcast. Okay, maybe in the next... Next, next uh, conversation. Good. Well, I think, uh, you know, we opened up a lot of topics here. Um, it was an interesting conversation and um, definitely one that's going to be relevant for a long time. So uh, thanks. We'll talk soon.